Okay. Are you ready? I Are am. Are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. <laughs> okay. I was born ready. Welcome to Hoots Hollering, the weekly Hoots Media variety show. This week, I have Lisa. Hi. Hello. And uh, we're here to do a another showcase episode. This time, we're going to um, showcase her show, OK, But Why? Um, and one episode in particular that I think everybody in the network really appreciated and thought was uh, incredibly interesting. So, um, Lisa, can you kind of just go over the... Uh, the thought process on the show and kind of what the, what the idea of the show is. Sure. Um, my entire life, uh, I like information. Um, so anytime that anybody talks about something I don't know about or brings something up, I hadn't heard before, I have to have more information. Um, and so, um, and why they think the way they do. And I want everybody to think the way I do. And they do not. <laughs> and so I need to know why people think the way that they do, why they hold the beliefs that they do. And so um, we'll be talking about something and I'll be like, okay, but why? <laughs> like, uh, it's so, my favorite name uh, so that anybody's <laughs> come up with so far. Um, so it's just um, each episode is us taking a subject and saying, um, how we feel about things, why we feel the way that we do, um, experiences we've had and, and me asking why. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a great format too, because it's not like, you know, on a lot of these shows where these, where you have people on to give their opinions on things, you purposely try and set up some sort of argument or like, uh, you know, some sort of conflict, but your show in particular, sure. it's, you're coming at it from a just explain this thing to me uh, yeah. method, which I like a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I always am very like cognizant of not um, offending people. Like that is my goal in life is not to offend people. So like mm -hmm. when I'm asking the questions, I, I genuinely am coming from a place of like curiosity and not like, oh my God, why would you think that? <laughs> right. Um, even, even, and even if, you know, we have differing opinions, which we all do sometimes. Um, I try really hard to be informed about why they feel that way and be respectful that they do feel that way and that their experiences are different than mine, but just as valid. Mm -hmm. So I try really hard. Um, and also, you know, sometimes we're funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I try really hard uh, to, to, be respectful and have other people be respectful so that, you know, cause we're all friends and I don't want anything like that to, you know, to make anybody upset about things that they feel really strongly about. Cause there sure. are things that I feel really strongly about that I don't, I wouldn't want someone to mock it or argue about it yeah, in, totally. a, in a hurtful way. So right. yeah, we just, you know, respectful, <laughs> wise <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um so 
the show that we're showcasing or the episode that we're showcasing this week mm-hmm. uh, is about mental illness. And it was kind of a different episode for you. Do you want to I know you do a preamble in the show, which we're, which we're going to leave in. Okay. Um, but is there is there anything you wanted to say about this this episode particularly before we actually run it here? I'm sure I uh, normally have an entire group of people. Um, and this was the first episode that I didn't want that. I didn't, um, I didn't think I could handle that, Mm -hmm. um, questions from other people about it. It was a really hard, it was a really hard story to tell. And, um, and I wanted to put it out there, but, um, doing it while trying to be like funny or like, um, you know, on, Mm-hmm. Which was not, I just wasn't capable of that. And then I, I wanted to get Patrick's opinion um, because, you know, it's stuff he lived through too. And I want, it's interesting for me to know, because um, at the time I didn't care how he felt about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but looking back, I think it's interesting to see um, where we both were. Sure. And, yeah, I, and, I think it is too. It's It was, yeah. I really like that you did it that way too, because um, just for a little spoiler, the first half is just Lisa kind of going mm-hmm. through, um, you know, going through a, a timeline of things. And then she brings in Patrick, her husband, to kind of, uh, they, they ask questions back and forth and kind of look at this this one time in Lisa's life kind of under a microscope, which is incredibly interesting to me. Yeah, um, it was it was really um, scary and I, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. That's why we did like yeah. several ahead of that, um, where I got more comfortable being on the mic and like, being i don't want to say in charge but you know like hosting so that like keeping everything going um and then you know doing it by myself (laughs) just out of curiosity from a um from a process standpoint i know you normally record with patrick in the same room did you do that first section this is almost turning into a a developer's commentary (laughs) i know (laughs) (laughs) a a director's commentary did you do that first section kind of by yourself uh, with nobody else in the room I did. He showed me how to set everything up and I did it by myself. Um, did you yeah. find that that helped uh, being able to just kind of talk with without someone there looking at you? Yeah. Yeah. Even with Patrick, I don't know that I would have been able to do it um, with him like sitting there looking at me just because yeah. it's it was so. It was so um, like going back over things was so mm-hmm. hard um, that it it's emotional even just talking about it sure and so i didn't want to and i'm not i'm not big on emotions like i normally try and tamp that down but um so it was really um it was really hard and i wasn't sure i could do it in one one fail swoop but i did um and so it was really and then i i didn't listen back to it for a really long time and had um and had patrick listen and make sure that you know it wasn't a disaster (laughs) (laughs) okay um all right, well, we'll go ahead and um, go ahead and get into it. Actually, before we do that, though, I know you guys have recorded your next uh, episode. Do you want to just do a small yes. little teaser on that? Yeah, um, our next episode is going to be a little um, a little controversial because we're talking about guns. Oh man! Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. There's um, there's four of us, and we we talk about um, guns and gun control and and how we all feel about that. Okay, well, I can't wait to hear that. That's I haven't heard any bit of it yet, so I'm, yeah. I'm excited to hear it. And do you have a release date on that? Do you know? Uh, probably end of this week sometime. Okay, cool. 
Okay. Uh, all right. Well, we'll go ahead and get into the episode uh, that we talked about earlier and uh, hope you enjoy. Thank you. Thanks for hollering at us. Uh-huh, bye. Bye. Hello, strangers. I'm Lisa, and this is Okay But Why Mental Illness. Before we get into the episode, I want to mention that we have an email address now, and it is the letters OKBYPOD at gmail.com. So feel free to send your questions, comments, suggestions, and criticisms. This episode is going to be a little different than you are used to because it's mostly going to be just me. Before we start, I want to tell you that this episode will go into detail about living with mental illness, including suicidal thoughts. Feel free to skip it if that will upset you. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. And for the crisis text line, text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741. Now, we get to the nitty gritty. I'm going to read something I wrote on June 8th of 2018. I have gone back and forth over writing this and about what I should say and how I should say it. I suffer from anxiety and depression. I have since before I understood what either one of those things were. I have been getting help since I was 18. I initially got help because of my severe social anxiety, but it also helped with the depression I didn't realize I had. See, I thought depression was sadness, but depression for me is more of a numbness. Nothing makes me exceptionally happy, and I just don't care about things I normally love. I'm overly tired and paranoid that people would be better off without me. I've been suicidal in the past, and I have gotten help. Asking for help may seem like weakness, and it was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. To go to someone and say, I can't do this by myself anymore, was so, so difficult and embarrassing, but worth it. I hope what you will take away from this is that no matter what is happening in your life, no matter what you are going through, there is someone who loves you and wants for you to be better, even If, at this time, that person is not you. After I wrote that, probably July of that year. July is always a really hard month for me because of the anniversary of my parents' deaths. So, I knew going in that July was not going to be fun happy times. But I figured it would be the normal amount of sadness. Unfortunately... (laughs) We got into July, and I lost it. I couldn't function. I was so depressed and suicidal, and I didn't want to be here anymore. I didn't think anybody thought I was worth it, and I didn't think that I was worth it. I told lots of people. Well, I told my husband, and I told my therapist, and it got worse. We tried some things, we tried different things, and most of it didn't work. I was miserable. I felt like because I was so miserable, I was making other people miserable and they would be better off without me. I was so tired and so emotional just 24 hours a day. It was exhausting. I didn't know what to do. I have dealt with my depression and my anxiety for years. I have been on 
I want to say 10 or 11 different medicines over the years. Um, some of them have been great. Some of them have been good, but the side effects were not worth it. <laughs> and some of them just haven't worked at all. I was really lucky in that the first medicine they tried worked really well for a really long time. And then it didn't. So then we had to switch and try and find something else. And then I wanted to get pregnant. So we had to switch and find something else. And then after I had a kid, that didn't work anymore with my hormones. And so we had to switch to something else. When I was a teenager, I had social anxiety so badly. I would have panic attacks at the mall. I would have panic attacks at stores. I would have to leave. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't go anywhere by myself. And it was miserable. I thought that I was just shy. I didn't talk to people a lot and I just assumed I was quiet. My first year I went to a, a community college and my second um, year of college I went to a university and my mom drove me around to where I could see where I needed to walk for the classes that I had and we passed I think a sorority group and they all had the same shirt on and they all had the same bag and I don't know why but that absolutely just threw me. I couldn't even fathom what I was thinking trying to go to a university with so many people. I cried so badly. Um, my friends ended up letting me stay the night in their dorm. And one of my closest friends got up at eight o'clock the next morning and went with me to my eight o'clock class so that I didn't have to try and do it on my own. Then I decided that perhaps this was not a normal amount of shyness or a normal amount of introversion. So I went to my doctor and I said, I think I have a problem. And she said, you have social anxiety. And I said, okay. And so we talked about the meds that were out there and the misconceptions that people have about the meds that are out there. And we decided what I should go on. And it helped a lot and pretty uh, soon. So I was okay. Um, I wasn't great. I still occasionally had panic attacks or anxiety attacks at concerts or big events. I still am not comfortable at concerts and big events. I get <laughs> really warm <laughs> and occasionally, you know, have to have to leave and go, even if it's just like in a different room where it's quiet. Anyway, it's going to be, this is going to be a weird episode and it's going to be probably pretty rough just because I haven't written any of this down. I am trying to explain all of this from memory. After I got my medicine for my anxiety, I started to cut. I was very unhappy. I, I didn't have what I thought I needed or I didn't, I, I don't even know how to explain it. But I felt like I wanted my outside to match my inside. And so after that, I tried to go to therapy at the university. And I went the first time and met with this man, a therapist. And he said, are you from here? And I said, yeah, born and raised. And he said, are we ever really raised? And immediately I was 
just, I wanted to leave. I'm like, he's already questioning me. I can't even say hello. And he's questioning me. I panicked. I went one more time and then I quit. I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind to ask for someone else. I just assumed that that was who was going to see me and I didn't want to do that. So then, then my mom got sick a few years later and she got really sick really quick and died really quick. We were it. Like she was my world and she was gone and I didn't know how to process that in any sort of realistic way. Um, I went to therapy for grief. That helped a lot. I didn't want to talk about her with other people because I didn't think that they had the right to talk about my mom. So then, gosh, so I went for grief and they put me on another medication, which helped for a while. And then, you know, I started to feel better. I started to be able to be myself again a little bit and they took me off of it. And then I had my son and everything was going okay. And my dad was sick. He spent four years living with cancer. He had several different kinds. And in the end, he died too. That brought up a lot of emotions that I didn't deal with when mom died. And so I tried EAP, the Employee Assistance Program, and they only wanted to deal with one thing at a time. At this point, I had been to therapists off and on for years. At that point, I had been to one, two, three, four, five, probably six different therapists, but again, through EAP, and so they were only short-term solutions. So after my dad died, I didn't want to be here anymore. I didn't understand why I had to go through the same thing again. I didn't understand why it wasn't until after I got closer to my dad and I just was so angry and so upset and just lost. So I found, I went to my regular doctor and I said, I, I can't keep doing this. Um, I left messages for a ton of different therapists and I never got calls back. And she said, sit here for a few minutes and I'll be right back. And they called and they got me an appointment at the place that I'm at now. I went there and I found a great therapist and we really hit it off. And so I got a little bit better. You know, I, I was definitely suicidal, but it was very passively suicidal. Um, to explain that, I had suicidal thoughts and ideations, but like did not want to hurt myself. I just would be okay if that happened. So I got some help and for a few years, I did okay. We switched some meds around. We did different types different types of therapy. We talked about different things. I was able to talk about some things that and figure some things out that we I hadn't dealt with before just because of the way that therapy worked through the EAP. And then after I wrote the thing 
that I put on Facebook about mental health awareness, I got really, really, really bad. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know. There were a lot of different things that contributed to it. And I just kept getting worse. And I would go into my therapist and I would say, I don't think that my meds are working. I'm not sure what's wrong, but this is not how I should feel. And they kept, I don't want to say playing with my meds because that's not what they were doing, but we were adjusting them accordingly every time and nothing was helping. And finally I went in and I was like, I want to die. I do not want to be here anymore. I'm miserable. I'm making other people miserable. No one needs that in their life and no one needs that from me. And I can't be, I can't do it. I can't be so responsible for everyone, which we had been working on about not being responsible for everyone. (laughs) But um, then um, after that, they said, do you, do you want to go in for an inpatient? And I said, I would really rather not go to inpatient. I would really rather find an outpatient program if we can. So they found an outpatient program. Um, I sat in my car and cried as I called them. And I cried the whole way out of the office, the whole way to my car. And while I was on the phone, um, I left a message and then went on about my weekend. And they called me back. I went out there and toured the place. And my insurance turned them down. So I called my insurance and I said, this is really probably where I need to be. Is there anything else I can do? And they said, nope, we won't cover it. And here are some other options. Without the insurance, it was, I believe, $6,000, which was just not enough. Like we didn't have, I didn't want to spend the money to save me. That's where I was at. So... I called the, the insurance, talked to them. They did not understand the difference between mental illness and addiction. So I got, I think there were 17 different places they gave me that I could call. I am pretty sure that seven of them were for children. No, two of them were for children. Seven of them were for Oh, addiction. One, you had to have gone through the inpatient program. Several were not in this county. It was just, there was nothing. I called every single one and they all said, this is not the program for you. So I called insurance back and they said, those are the things that we can offer you. So I went back to my therapist and I said, I, I'm literally trying to save my own life and I can't. I cannot get insurance to understand that this is going to be what saves my life. So we switched my therapist for a different therapist that did different, a different type of therapy. And I went once a week, sometimes I think even more than once a week, and tried to deal with all of the issues that I had. I think I went the end of July into the new therapist. And I think probably it took until December before I felt even like 
passively suicidal rather than actively suicidal. It was really, it was really scary. Even then, it was really like in the middle of it. I was so tired and I was so, I was just exhausted from fighting every day, fighting to want to stay alive, knowing that when I talked to people, they wanted to reassure me that they loved me and that, you know, this would not be forever. But that's not what it feels like when you're in the middle of it. Um, When you're in the middle of being suicidal, you feel useless, absolutely useless. And you just, you don't understand why anyone would want you around. You don't understand why any of it's, I mean, you just, nothing makes you happy. I could not find a thing that made me happy. I would come home and I would just sit on the couch and be miserable. I would turn on TV and I didn't care. And I would get on my phone and I didn't care. And there was not anything that made me happy. I was so lost and I felt so far away from everyone. Even the people I lived with, I felt like the worse that I felt, the more I was causing them pain. And so I would either tell them about it and feel like I was causing them more pain or not talk about it and just silently be miserable. And so I was getting up and I was going to work every day and I absolutely did not want to be here anymore. I went to church every week. I took care of my kid, you know, talked to my husband and I just could not fathom why anyone would want me here at all. The thing that I finally just had to realize was that I didn't care if I was alive. I wasn't sure when I would care if I was alive, but that my family would be so hurt And I am so, I was so concerned that they would be so hurt that I could talk myself down most of the time. It took months to get back to even a small amount of feeling okay with one thing or the other. I started playing solitaire again on my phone, which kind of calms my brain down. I started reading again a little bit, doing things that I enjoy doing for the most part. And eventually I felt better. I don't want to say that I felt good and it was not a light switch where everything was great and happy and okay again It wasn't. It was a really long, drawn-out process of working on things and trying to figure out how to want to be here again. What's really scary to me is that this is going to happen again. My anxiety, social anxiety, my general anxiety (laughs) is always going to be there. And my severe depression is always going to be there. 
I can work on things with my therapist and I can take my meds and do the things that make me happy and I can still end up the same place I was in July of last year, suicidal and miserable. That, I think, scares me the most, that it's going to come back, that no matter what I do and how I prepare, it's going to be there. Mostly what we work on in therapy is that is recognizing it before it gets to the point where I'm sitting in my therapist's office crying and saying I want to die. Um, We have set up a, hopefully a way to recognize the signs early. I know some of the things that trigger my anxiety, some of the things that trigger my depression. And so the people closest to me also know what triggers things and what to watch out for in me so that when they recognize it, if, if it's before I recognize it, then we can talk about it and see what can be done as soon as I start feeling like a three um, out of 10 instead of like a seven out of 10. I'm trying to think what else to say, and I don't know that I have anything else to give. I know that when I'm suicidal, I pull away and I will make any excuse not to go out, not to hang out, not to call anything. I will try. I will say I'm sick. I'll feel sick. I will do anything not to have to deal with people and pretend because that's what I would do. I would get up every day and be miserable and pretend everything was okay. And then I would get home and I would just sit there on the couch, eating my feelings and doing nothing because I could not force myself after having lied all day and pretended all day that everything was okay to keep that up. And it's really hard for me to look back on that because it makes me really really sad that that I could feel that way and that I could consider leaving my family. I knew how much they loved me. Even in my depression, I knew how much they loved me. But I thought that staying alive was causing them more pain because if I was dead, they could deal with that and get over it. And they wouldn't have to worry about my depression and they wouldn't have to worry about when it would happen again and what they would have to do and the things that they would have to try or trying to convince me that I didn't want to die. I'm going to have Patrick come on in a little while and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about how he felt and see if he has questions for me. I have a couple for him because I've not I don't think there's really been any time when I dealt with somebody else's suicidal ideation. And now um, we're back and we have Patrick. 
and we're going to ask some questions. Um, do you want to start or do you want me to start with questions? Uh, why don't you start and we'll go back and forth. Okay. How did my suicidal time last year affect you? Well, this is going to make me sound pretty terrible, but I was in the middle of a show when you were at your worst last summer. Mm -hmm. And so I'll be honest, I didn't notice until things had gotten pretty far along. Uh, and, I, and I feel bad for not noticing, but I was way too wrapped up in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then when I... What exactly was the question? Uh, just how you... Um, how that made you feel. How it oh. affected you. Well, by the time I realized what was going on, I felt really terrible. Partially because... I know that my being gone so much and you being home with Henry so much was part of the problem. And also just the fact that I didn't realize what was happening until considerably later. Yeah. And we've got a cat scratching at the door to the studio. So <laughs> uh, if you hear that, it's uh, that's what it is. We don't keep people in our basement. It's fine. Um, let's see. Well, now it's my turn. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Next. So speaking of me and the other people that are around you, when depression starts to set in, when you start feeling suicidal, when you start feeling rough, for lack of a better word, what can we do? What can the folks around you do to help? Is there anything that we can do? Is there anything we can say? For me, at least, um, part of my triggers, I guess you would call them, is, like, abandonment. So, like, saying that, you know, no matter what, you're not going anywhere, you know, you still love me, I, you know, I matter, things like that. Um, and then just don't let me talk myself out of stuff. Like, drag me out. <laughs> Throw me in the shower and drag me outside. Um, just to do, you know, even small things, like walk around that neighborhood or something I think would even I mean it's not a cure and we all know it's not a cure but I think that would be something where it helps me a little bit and it will help you feel like you're helping okay okay uh what is the thing about all of this as someone living with someone with mental illness that you have learned I've learned that I've got to stay more in the moment with you mm -hmm. um, and not get pulled away, pulled outside of the family as much. I tend to keep too many plates up in the air and keep too many things going on, and that takes my attention away. So not only, like last summer, do I not notice when things start to go off the rails, but I'm also not engaged in helping you at the house and with her son and all of that stuff and that exacerbates the problem so for me specifically i've learned that i need to stay more engaged at home and with you can you describe because i know it's difficult but having lived with depression for most of your life at this point can you describe the feeling when you were at your lowest when you were at, when it was at its worst <laughs> I felt really, really numb 
I, it was like watching myself do things. I wasn't actually doing them. And, um, I would look in the mirror and not be able to see me. I would just, you know, notice problems or pick things out that I didn't like. And, um, and then when I would think about, you know, what I wanted, it was to not be here anymore. Um, I genuinely thought that my problems and my mental illness were causing you all more problems than if I went ahead and was dead and you all could move on from that. Because I felt like my mental illness wasn't something you all could move on from because it wasn't something I could move on from. And so it felt like I was, I was making you worry. I didn't, and then that would make me anxious and, and down. And then I would get more anxious and down and then you would worry more. And so it was like this vicious cycle of like, I was causing you all this severe, like heartache and that me not being here anymore would let you all like start fresh. And, and I, I think characterizing it as saying that we can't move on from it is not, I don't think moving on from anything is, is the way we necessarily need to think about it. And just so that we're clear, I'm not a mental health professional. <laughs> Me either. Um, but it's not something that we can move on from because it's going to be something that is a constant in our life, in our relationship, in, yeah. in our family. So moving on might not be the best way to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> how, do we, how do we react and how do we cope when when things get bad. Yeah. My therapist has to remind me all the time that, that this is not a race. It's not like you can win it. You can't win you can't win mental illness. You can't illness. win depression. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Um you just have to kind of learn ways to deal with it when it comes and learn ways to see it coming. And that that I think for me is the hardest part and not not because I'm always checked out like last summer but because it's not always, usually, it's not usually a switch. It's a gradual slide into into depression for you and anxiety for me. It's not ever something that is just like one day we wake up and I'm like, oh, she's depressed again, or oh, I'm so anxious today. It's, it's a gradual overtime thing, and yeah. that's hard to see when you live with somebody. It's like with our son... We didn't wake up one morning and he was four and a half feet tall. You know, he was. <laughs> yeah. We didn't wake up one morning and he was as tall as a sixth grader. Yeah. And, and him being seven, but it, it's you live with something or someone all the time, and it's hard to see. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I like um, I like doing my depression and anxiety um, on a scale, so that I can write it and I can have you write it or maybe like another friend to see how close we all are <laughs> and what we're thinking because I think a lot of times I can't see it in myself at first. Now, once it gets really bad, I know it's there. But at first, I'm just like, no, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. Um, because I don't, I don't like for people to do for me and I don't like to have to lean on people and I want to make them happy and do things for them and it really like hits me where it hurts <laughs> yeah because then i have to rely on other people to do things and which and, is not something that you like to do anyway no i'm not good at that um and so um 
It's yeah. just let me be more. Let me make that sound a little more accusatory. <laughs> you don't like to do that anyway. <laughs> no, that that was not my intention. I was just no. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really bad about wanting to do things on my own and not wanting help and not wanting to rely on anyone. Even though we're married, I'm like, oh, I can do this by myself, which is part of the reason that he doesn't always see it is because I'm, you know, I want to do this by myself and I'll deal with my depression by myself. I don't need, I don't need your help right now. I'm going to therapy. I'm fine. Any, any other questions for um, me? You really, you answered the one, which was like, what's the first thing you notice? Well, you said you don't, you sometimes don't notice till it's. Well, until it, yeah, just because it, it's, like I said, when you live with somebody, it's hard to see those small incremental changes until they're big. Yeah. And by that point, you know, it's too late to notice because we're in the middle of, middle of the shitstorm, so yeah. to speak. But do you notice something, like, what's the first thing you do notice that, that, like, hey, this is it? Uh, you, I was going to say you sleep more, but... <laughs> You would sleep until two o'clock every day, depressed or not. Um, but you do get more spiritually lethargic, I mm-hmm. guess. You, I see you losing interest in things that the month before you would have been excited about doing. Sure. And that's usually one of my first one of my first clues when you stop reading your smut novels. <laughs> <laughs> When you stop watching wrestling, mm-hmm. even though WWE is terrible uh, <laughs> at the moment, when you stop watching wrestling, when you stop reading your romance novels, that's when I know something, that it's more serious than just a, a bad day. Mm-hmm. What do you see as the biggest obstacle in general to getting mental health care in the United States in 2019? And... My case, the struggle that I had is that mental health care is expensive and insurance doesn't know what to do with it. I couldn't get what I needed because they couldn't figure out how to treat that. They kept trying to send me to like, um, the list they gave me was mostly (laughs) for drug addiction problems. And while... Sometimes that goes hand in hand. In my case, it does not. I haven't ever had any drug problems. And so that wasn't what I needed. But what I did need, they couldn't or wouldn't pay for. So I really think it starts with the fact that everything is so expensive. Because even if you're going to therapy every week, even if you have insurance, it's still going to cost you money. And then you think, well, why am I wasting this money on myself when I don't even care? I mean, that's... I, I guess that is... I didn't think about it that way, but I guess that would be tough when you don't feel like you're worth even so much as getting out of bed in the morning. You know, why am I spending these hundreds and thousands of dollars yeah. to get better when I don't feel like I need to get better or want to get better? Yeah. And, I mean, like, how much easier would it be, you know, financially, emotionally, whatever, for my family if I just wasn't here? Like, I'm spending this money, I'm, you know, causing you worry, I'm doing all these things. And so it's just, I don't know, easier when you're depressed to think it's not worth it. Um, but yeah, I think I think insurance and the cost is really... Um, and the fact that there's still a stigma. 
people don't want to say, oh, hey, I've got a mental illness or, oh, hey, you know, I have depression and anxiety. I take medication. I go to therapy. People don't want to say that because there's this stigma about like, oh, you're crazy. Like, or that or that it's it's just all in your head. Mm-hmm. Just smile a little bit more and you and you won't be depressed. Just think happy and you won't be depressed. <laughs> Literally just saw a sign today at a store that said, you don't need therapy. You need to go camping. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not the solution. <laughs> well, and not only is that not the solution, that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Because when people see stuff like that, they think, well, obviously, all I need to do is go camping or mm-hmm. smile more or whatever that whatever the platitude is. Yeah, that's all I need to do. I, why am I still depressed? I'm smiling. Yeah. I'm smiling until my face hurts. Why am I still depressed? And even for me, I, I, I am in the mental illness bucket because mm-hmm. I have terrible anxiety if I'm not medicated. Anxiety that manifests as anger issues. And even for me, looking at depression, I find myself thinking sometimes, not not necessarily about you, but about in general, well... I mean, why are you, why are you sad? You've mm-hmm. got you've got a good job, you've got a family that loves you, you've got this, that and the other thing. Why are you sad? And I'm part of the mental illness community yeah. and I still find myself thinking about other people with mental illnesses like, "Well, why can't you just X and be Y?" And then I catch myself and I'm like, "Oh my god, cuz I've, you know, I've had my parents say to me, "You're not anxious, you're just X." Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so even um, even even amongst comrades in craziness, yeah. we still are kind of like, uh, why aren't you just better? Yeah. And that's not healthy. That's not healthy coming from people who don't have a mental illness, and it's sure not healthy coming from other people in the same bucket. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I love that it's all in your head. Um, cause like, yeah, it is all in my head and my head is in my body and <laughs> my head which is, is broken. A, so like if I had a broken arm, it's not like I would put a bandaid on it and walk away. Like, okay, well there's a bandaid on it. So you're fine. You'll yeah. be fine. Even in the healthcare community, mm-hmm. it's taken years and years to come about to the, to the way of thinking that the mind is part of the body and it should mm-hmm. be treated as part of the body and not something different. Yeah. And not, and it's not one of those things that you can just say, oh, be happy and you're happy. Yeah. It's a, a literal chemical imbalance in right. my system. And unfortunately for some people, it takes a really long time to find medications that work for your specific, like, chemistry. Yeah. Um, which is really super frustrating to have to do. Well, and, and again... I was super lucky. Yeah. Lexapro worked for me immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, I started taking it, and I got, in a couple of weeks, I felt better. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, again, is really slowly, so you don't notice it. Yeah. It took it takes two weeks to, to get in there and, and take effect, and a lot of drugs for anxiety and depression specifically work that way, so you don't necessarily know that you're feeling better until somebody says... Hey, you've not snapped at me for three days. Or, <laughs> hey, you're smiling more today. Yeah. You know, or something like that. So do you think... And I used to consider myself part of this other bucket of people who are mentally healthy. Mm-hmm. Do you think the folks that are 
mentally healthy who are not diagnosed as having some sort of mental health issue, could they benefit from therapy? Because I know you've benefited from therapy. Yeah, I think so. Um, even, even in therapy, we don't always talk about like my depression and my anxiety. We talk about how I learned to do things as a child and some, and young adult and how I'm having to relearn how to do things in order to not be in a, in a cycle of making myself, you know, causing myself more problems. Um, so I, I don't think you have to be mentally ill to, to benefit from therapy. I think that, that talking to someone who knows, you know, the things to say to help you rather than just like your friends who want to help you, but say, Oh, sorry to hear that. Um, talking to people who, you know, have gone to school for this really will help you figure yourself out because that's a lot of what I'm doing is like trying to figure myself out and see, you know, start small and see who I am as a person and build from that so that I can be a happier person even when my depression and anxiety are leveled out. So I think anybody would, (laughs) I, I am all for therapy. I tell everybody and I am I'm not afraid to share with the group and I like to tell people how much medication and therapy has worked for me because I want other people to, to know that it does work. Not all the time, obviously. Sure. I've had maybe two times where I've been suicidal as opposed to like, I've been on medication for 20 years. So I think that's a pretty good ratio. I, I agree. And I, that's, that strikes me as sounding to somebody who, doesn't live with mental illness in their yeah. house or doesn't live with it as part of their life. Yeah. That sound would probably sound pretty terrible to say, mm-hmm. well, I've been on medication for 20 years and I've only thought about suicide seriously a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But having, especially last summer, last summer was probably the worst mm-hmm. that I've experienced with you. Yeah. And we've been married 13 years as of yesterday. And that was the first time that I'd ever been afraid that you were going to follow through. Mm-hmm. Um, so twice in the 20 years that you've been medicated really isn't bad, <laughs> but I won't lie. I was terrified. I'm sure. Once I, once I finally yeah. engaged and, and realized what was happening. And I also do realize that some of that, a good portion of that was on me for not being where you needed me to be. Yeah. Well, I'm like, when you tell people that you're suicidal, it's a very odd conversation. Um, like, even at the doctor's office, um, I had to go for, like, my annual physical while I was going through this. And so, when you have medication for depression or anxiety, when you go in, they ask you this little questionnaire. It's like, how do you feel today? You know, are you this? Are you that? Are you thinking about hurting yourself? Are you thinking about hurting others? And my answer was yes to a lot of them. And that the guy was like, uh, and I was Sit like, right here, I'll be right back. <laughs> and I was like, I promise I'm in therapy. I'm trying to get help. I just like, I'm, I'm struggling to get help. They want to help me, but we can't figure out how. And he, so he was like, okay. Um, but even, even in the medical professionals, like are not really sure what to say. And when I say it to people, like I told a friend of mine and because I have to Um, when you tell your therapist that you're suicidal, they have to, um, you have to come up with a plan. So your plan has to include who you would call if you needed help, 
that you have all their numbers, that they know what you're feeling, that they know why they're talking to you in that moment. Um, you have to have at least one person and then a backup. And then like, so you have to go and tell these people, you know, Hey, if I call you <laughs> and not always, but like, if I'm calling somebody, it's, it's the, probably an emergency anyway. It's the, the mental health version of the "Hey, you might want to get tested" call. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you have to tell people, and and everybody takes it differently, and they don't know they don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, you know. And I'm I'm in it, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a it's an odd conversation to have with people, um, and like you can just I can just deadpan joke about it even during it because. I mean, what else am I going to do? You know, I'm already <laughs> super unhappy. So laughing about it sometimes helps. I mean, not in a long-term way, but... <laughs> well, you know, just smile a little bit more. Ugh. And you won't need therapy. <laughs> or, you know, go camping. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I'll be uh, better tomorrow. <laughs> do you have any other questions? No, I don't have any other questions. Um, Do you? Uh, I do not have any more questions for you. Uh, I do want to tell you that I'm sorry. That's okay. I know, I know it is now, but I knew even in the moment how much of it was was on me, was mm -hmm. my fault. And I am sorry for not doing my part to help. Sure. I think that's really it for this episode. Um, it's, been, it's been a doozy. <laughs> um, going back through is hard. And, and this is part of why it's taking us taking us a, more than a month yeah. to do this episode is because we tackled Lisa mostly. I say we because I'm sitting here right now, but Lisa <laughs> mostly has tackled this by herself. And um, it's really hard to relive because I, yeah. I I remember feeling that way. It's not like you're asleep or you're not there. You're there. You just don't care that you know. Well, I'm glad to have you back. Closer to yeah, closer to normal. Glad to be back. <laughs> it's it's a nice it's a nice feeling to to see good days and bad days, like because then you know you know because there are good days yeah. and, and something to contrast to the bad days. Yeah, even good moments can be like a handhold, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's it for today or for this week. For this for this episode. year. <laughs> For this episode, um, considering. Yeah, for this episode, and I will um, hopefully see you guys um, in, next time. In two weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in two weeks this time, because it, <laughs> it won't be mental illness. <laughs> uh, this will probably not come out on Wednesday like we usually planned. It'll probably be a Thursday or a Friday, but we'll try to hit Wednesday on the next one. Okay. Um, so, tell everybody thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, everybody. And thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for taking this journey with me this week. <laughs>